my friends, I want you to know what a hard time we had in Asia. Our sufferings were so horrible and so unbearable that death seemed certain. In fact, we felt sure we were going to die, but this made us stop trusting in ourselves and start trusting God who raises the dead to life. This is the rendition of the contemporary English version of 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 to 9. Paul is, is comforting and speaking courage to the church of Corinth in the face of their different trials. I want to repeat that reading from an amplified version. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9. For we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about our trouble in the west coast province of Asia Minor, how we were utterly weighed down beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt within ourselves that we had received the sentence of death and we were convinced that we would die. But this happened so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. Now Paul speaks to this church from a place of someone who has experienced hard times. He started off by saying to them, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all comfort, the God of all grace, who has comforted us in our troubles so that we ourselves, for the, the comfort we've received from him, we may comfort others. May I greet you all in the name of Jesus from wherever you are listening from. And let me acknowledge that in the context of what we are facing, many of us need someone who can come and strengthen us, someone who can stay hope again in our hearts, someone who can look in our face and say, it shall be well, someone who can say, this is not the end of it all. In the past few weeks, when we heard about the, the eminent second phase of the corona pandemic. Since then, many people, every day we have heard of someone who's lost their loved one, someone we know who has passed away, and I dare to say of all those of us who are aware of what is happening around the world, None of us can at least say at this point, I don't know anyone who has been infected with the virus who has died or has been affected. Now the reality of what we are facing is that death is looming. 
Trials are looming. Pain is looming. But more importantly, is in the face of death and trials and tribulations and pain, where do we find our hope and our strength? So, I want to talk to us just frankly about a topic that even in my own mind I struggled to, to think about where to pick it, where to start off in discussing this with us as a body. Firstly, because it is not customary, it is not usual to talk about it, but also it is not easy to talk about it in the way that I want to talk about it without almost sounding like you are not sensitive to what is happening. But really my intention is to strengthen us in the face of what we cannot avoid and what we cannot change so that its effects are mitigated in our lives. So I want to look at some of the guys that have gone through what we, we are still to go through or perhaps some of us are going through and how they have dealt with it. Let me take you back to when you and I were small kids. I don't know if you had that experience, but when we were young, you would fall, you would come back bleeding, whether you've scratched your knee, whether you sliced your foot with a, a bottle embedded in the ground, whether you've pierced your foot with a nail, whether you fell off the tree, where something terrible had happened to you and you come crying to an adult, perhaps your mother, perhaps your auntie, perhaps your uncle, and this person says to you, they pick you up and they say to you, 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 Whilst you're crying, instead, some of them, instead of saying, oh, shame, they actually say, I don't know if it has ever been said to you, but it has been said to me many times, they say, don't worry, you are growing up. They say out of that experience of pain, that, that experience of feeling almost dejected, feeling like, I could run, but I don't happen to run as I see others running. Instead, I stumble and fall and hurt myself in the face of what is looming over my, my life as gloom and doom. These people have the audacity to say, Wahola, you are growing up. And sometimes another person comes from the family side and they pick you and they say, no, it's okay, it's okay, don't cry. And another person still comes and no, that, let them cry. They, when they cry, when they experience pain, it means they are, they are learning what life is all about. They are growing up. Now, as a child, you don't understand how can someone you look up to, to comfort you, to cuddle you, to, to, to rub self on your wounds. Why is it that the tendency is for them to pick you up and say, out of this, you are growing. Out of this, you are maturing. I didn't understand those things. But now I have grown to understand them. And I, I find that in reality, that is actually 
what everyone expects of those that are maturing to experience. What everyone, in a sense, envisages that if you are to grow, if you are to mature, you're going to go through the valley of pain, the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to go through trials and tribulations. This principle permeates in all of society. Firstly, the Bible itself, as we heard from last week, James tells us that count it all joy, brethren, when you face all diverse kinds of trials and tribulations. Why? Because the testing of your faith as a child of God. But then he says, out of that, we learn perseverance, we learn patience. What is that process? We mature out of the pain. And says the eventuality of this perseverance, learning, and growing says, you will be mature, lacking nothing. You will be complete but the eventuality of this trial does not in itself mitigate or reduce the intensity of what we face perhaps one person faces loss loss of a job loss of a loved one another one experiences near death encounter we all go through different things but we are told that Part of what you're going through will mature you. Question, will the pain and the sufferings that we are facing now, will the loss of the loved ones mature us? Maybe yes, maybe not. It depends how we all respond to these things. But I do want to to tell you that other men, have gone through what we are still yet to go through. And in their own experiences, they matured. Others obviously didn't. But I want to read about few men. So if you don't mind, why don't you go with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 24. In Ezekiel chapter 24, I'm reading from verse 15. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, with one blow, I am about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. God is essentially saying to him, Your wife is going to die, but I don't want you to mourn him. And this is not to say we should not mourn. Remember, the point I'm trying to bring across at this point is that other people have gone through the most devastating pains of their lives and yet matured through it. Whilst I must say, in the same token, others have vented anger and there's been such anger against God, against life, against others. It says, yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly, do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your mustache and beard or eat the customary food for mourners. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and in the evening, my wife died. 
That sounds familiar. Yet the most striking of this man's experience is that contrary to what you and I have the privilege of doing, of mourning though the loss of our loved ones, of spouses, of children, of sister siblings, of relatives, of jobs and all, this man did not have the privilege of mourning. So I said to them, okay, so I spoke to the people in the morning and in the evening my wife died. The next morning I did as I had been commanded. Then the people asked me, won't you tell us what these things have to do with us? Why are you acting like this? You can read the whole portion. That was my intention. But here's a man who has lost a loved one and from the place of an instruction by the word of the Lord. He's forbidden to act out his natural disposition. When you lose a loved one, when you have a great loss in your life, your natural response is to mourn, is to cry. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just throwing a parallel between a man who could not mourn and yet out of that experience matured and served God with greater vigor. Let's read in, 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 in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul tells us of his own trials and tribulations. The stuff he went through whilst in the will of God. Paul was called by God clearer than many of us would ever claim. But Paul in the will, in the center of God's will, there was pain, there was suffering. And, and for many people, the natural response when you, are, you know you are in God's will is to ask, why God, when I'm doing everything that you said I should do, why all these trials and tribulations, why all these misfortunes? Am I not in God's will? Have I not prayed enough when I lose a loved one? When I lose a job? When I'm, I'm COVID infected and I, I'm in an ICU and I'm facing death and I don't know whether someone will still be there to take care of my kids? When I wonder if my parents will escape this imminent death? Am I still in God's will? Can't I just point a finger at God, you know, a fist at God and say, why, why me, why now, why Lord, why not the wicked? I listen to a man who says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And something in between is what he tells us. He says... He compares himself to the so-called apostles. I'm reading from verse 20, you can study from 16. It says, in fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on 
airs or slaps in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. In other words, we were too weak to be manipulative on your lives. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am utterly out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder in God's will. I have worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death. This is what I want you to hear. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. And they thought he dead because they had done a good job of stoning him. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a, a night and a day in the open. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the church. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly bear? Paul highlights his own challenges. Whilst in the will of God, he talks about his own personal temptations, sometimes to give in into sin, sometimes to give up when things are hard. Remember, he says, when we were in Asia, we were so weighed down beyond our ability to handle, such that we felt despairing. Another person that went through an interesting reality is Peter. Many of us are going through this now. I'm reading from Acts chapter 12. From verse 1 it says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending, listen, to persecute them. Remember, persecution for us is non-negotiable in the realm of this world's existence. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So a friend of Peter was killed. Remember, James, John, and Peter were the, the, the inner circle of Jesus, the, the, the trio that went with him everywhere. So Peter and James were very close, but this time around, in the knowledge of Peter, James was killed by the sword. 
And this is what is said. When he saw that this met with approval from the Jews, in other words, killing this particular believer pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. What was he going to do? Kill him and further please the Jews. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four guards, four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Peter is like someone who is COVID infected or has another terminal disease or is an ICU and they see someone in a similar situation dying and as you hear that so and so died I was with so and so maybe I'm infected I was with so and so in the same world they died and suddenly you realize that death is closer to you more than the ambition of the next hour as I've said before but all these men with death looming with death surrounding them with death being their own experiences Paul says at one point he was in the city and the ruler of the city had decided that he must be captured and killed, but the brethren put him in a, a basket. And that was his way out as they, 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 they took him down by the rope down on the walls of the city. So I want to talk from that space about what I have entitled living to die and dying to live. In other words, I want to talk about death and life and the interplay in our hearts and in our emotions. We will do this in, in sessions, in different sessions. Suffice to say, today, we just want to introduce you to the ideas. Let me start off introducing you to the idea that most of us know very well. In psychology, there's what they call trauma counseling. It's there in psychiatry as well. But the, 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 the definition of trauma that has been used over years is that in its basic form, trauma is our emotional and a psychological response to an abnormal or a painful or a grievous situation, a stressful situation. 
So which means anything that takes abruptly our normalcy constitutes trauma to us, how we respond to that. And the psychologists have also got as far as defining or identifying types of trauma. Obviously, they will use different ways, but practically they mean the same thing. There's acute trauma where it is a single event trauma. Somebody breaks in your home and they hold you hostage and they ransack you. Maybe you, have, you, 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 you experience a near-death thing. Anything that happens as a single event. It's an acute trauma. Other people can deal with it within a short space of time. Others cannot. Then there's this there's, there's chronic trauma where a, 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 a traumatic experience keeps happening and happening and happening. It, it can also be a complex trauma. Let's put it, let's simplify it. It's a single trauma event where you go through an event once. But then there is also continuous trauma where you are constantly traumatized either by the same event over and over again or by multiple types of things you lose your job it's a traumatic situation you get in an accident you 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 are injured you are in icu it's a traumatic situation you lose a love you lose a loved one all these things are traumatic for us Now, here's a question that I, when you, you watch TV, you'll see that other people live in continuous trauma in Afghanistan, in Yemen, in Kosovo, where there is civil wars. But in the context of our country, here's a question that I'm, I have in my mind. How do you comfort a person who had been experiencing Single event traumas after three, five years or so, and suddenly they are swelled up. of continuous trauma. Many of us have lived in a context where somebody dies once in five years, ten years, and so on, and suddenly we are faced with a situation where. Three, four, six, seven, eight, ten people you know die. You don't get a chance to mourn. Whilst you bury this one, the other one dies to mourn. Whilst you are still trying to gather around and comply with the regulations, another one is infected. So how, how, how are we going to deal with these things? Let me say, it's not easy one, and it's not going to be easy. But at the end of it, there is a possibility of good news 
depending on how you respond into these things. It is naive to expect good news without them overshadowing bad news. They are good because they are in contrast to the bad. And so, let me get back to the observations that I want us to make. Remember, for today, I just want you to, to, to be introduced to the concepts that we are going to work through. In an ideal situation, I would have preferred this to be a conversation, not a presentation or a preach. But it is what it is. Living to die and dying to live. Let's just unpack that a bit for today and then highlight some observations and we'll pray. And next week, we will look into the deeper aspects of living to die and dying to live. When you talk about living to die, we're talking about a concept that applies to both believers, born again children of God to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, who in reality should be dead to themselves and alive to God. And also, we are talking about unbelievers, either by virtue of them denying Christ as Lord and Savior or being blinded to that reality that they need a Savior. So let's talk first about the idea of living to die. I'm just going to, you know, go over it on the surface. Living to die means this. It means for a non-believer, you have people who, by virtue of that fact that they are physically alive, they are going to die. But here's their view of life. Number one, it's a person who says, I don't care. I don't care about God. I don't care about this. I don't care about... Why should I worry myself about anything? Because in any case, we are going to die. Therefore, this person's view of life is that life is simply where you do what you want to do with a view that eventually you're going to die anyway. So there's a person who lives like that. Then there's a person who who pursues earthly excellence, who pursues their ambitions, their, their career-oriented, their everything, they're excellent in everything. They pursue everything at the expense of spiritual considerations of their eventuality. So this person is not the one who just says, we are going to die anyway. He says, when I die, I want to achieve a lot. And perhaps I may consider what becomes of me when I die eventually. So this person also basically lives to die because they don't think about the fact that death is closer than their next ambition. Then you have someone 
who knows that they are going to die. Then they prepare. They start contemplating about the inevitability of death. They start asking themselves, what does it mean for me to die? And I don't know how many of us, I don't know that whether you, you sit down and think about death, as I would try to encourage you to do. When you, we are living to die, death and life are not separated. They work hand in hand because eventually how we think about our own death determines how we are going to live our lives. How we live our lives determines what's going to be our attitude to death. So for now, let me lend it by saying these things that we are going to cover. I want us to talk about death itself. What does death mean to you? Just as a concept. Two, I want you to think about contemplating your own death. I'll tell you what I think when I think about my own death, but I also want you to think about what would it mean for you to die or to come face to face with death. Thirdly, I want you to think about the death of your loved ones. Think about a world where you have lost everyone you love and it's just you. The, the truth is, death will never leave you unchanged. And lastly, we will cover the idea that death and life are intertwined at the cross of Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is a definite way in which the Bible wants us to interpret death. So, consider this point. As a child of God, what is the scope of righteousness and wickedness? Because we are going to die if Christ does not come. One of the things I want you to this week start thinking about Let me rephrase it for you. When you are a child of God and you are faced with all the reports that you are hearing, whether they are true conspiracy theories or not about the virus, whether we should take the vaccine or not, whatever. At the end of the day, you and I will have to hear from God and as church leaders, we'll have to find God's heart about this thing. But what I want you to think about of the many things I would be challenging you to think about is this. The scope of the gospel, the extent to which we are supposed to affect the world with the gospel, 
is from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What does that mean? It means if we are good at what we do, we should reach everyone everywhere. Let's flip the coin. What if the devil is as good as we should be in destroying the world and destroying people through sickness and disease and calamities? What do you think is the scope of the devil's work? Do you think it's smaller than ours? Do you think we are going into regions where the devil has not gone? I want to challenge you. Think differently. Think about the fact that either we will go where there's calamity and then we'll have to face it, or calamity will follow us. But I want to pray that when calamity follows you, you find strength in God. And that when you are called to go where calamity is, you find courage in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a, a hard one to talk through. But as it were, it's of necessity, Lord. And I pray that somewhere in our hearts, whether all of this introduction makes sense or it doesn't, we can realize that this process of what we're going through, others have gone through it, perhaps worse. Others are continually living in it. In the face of death, you will always comfort us. I pray for those that are in hospitals, those that are recovering from all forms of diseases. All kinds of diseases are enemies of the cross, not just COVID, everything. HIV, cancer, TB, hepatitis, everything, all these things. You have wanted us to be redeemed from through the wounds and the blood of Jesus Christ. Today, Lord, we, we're trying to speak to your people about the reality of having to face death, of having to face persecution, of having to face anything that takes away our joy and our peace in you. But yet, how can we encourage them? Only those that have encouraged themselves in you can do it. And only those that have gone with you to the point of maturity can tell us it shall be well. Parents can say to their children, you are growing because they have been injured themselves before. They have gone through such pains before. And they have known that out of that, trials maketh a man. 
those tribulations make it a woman. And they can speak from experience and say, it shall get away. But since for many of us, we are still in a whirlwind, we don't see how shall it get away. I pray that, Lord, in the midst of questions, of the whys, of the how-longs, of the when and who, we can find in you the consolation, the peace that surpasses understanding, the solace that when these processes, when these fiery trials have matured us, we will lack nothing in you. I pray for those who don't know Jesus. May they be able to say in their hearts, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. And help me to live life knowing that in you, in the face of death, though I die, yet shall I live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.